joyful we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above, melts the clouds of Thank you for joining us for this program from the 9th Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're going to jump right in this morning. The book of Ephesians chapter 4 will actually start and, and, and back up and read into what we came out of a couple of weeks ago, kind of set the stage and talk about what Paul's trying to say here and then jump into chapter four. So let's, let's look at our first text. It'll be the first text there that's on our uh, lesson there, um, Nathan. Starting in verse 13, or, I'm sorry, verse 14 of chapter three, he says, for this reason, I kneel before the father from whom every earthly family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So Paul makes this great statement. He makes this great um, proclamation, if you will, in many ways, of the greatness of God. And the greatness of our relationship with God. One of the things that is so true with all the relationships that you see God enter into with people in Scripture is that those relationships are two ways. They're, they're called covenants, right? They're called covenants. And a covenant is if you will do this, this is how God kind of approached it, if you will, if you will be my people and allow me to be your God, and if you will do these things for me, I will in return do these things for you. And there's always great blessings that are involved in that covenant relationship. And Paul touches on a few of those as he's wrapping up what we call chapter 3. As he's kind of getting into this paragraph, obviously, he has kind of a moment there with amen that he's kind of, he is almost like, I want you to stop and think about this. Okay, pause right here for just a moment and understand how great it is that you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your inner being. That the power of God dwells and lives in you. That that is something that is different from you and the rest of the world. That you have the Spirit of God living in you and the power that comes along with that. And that you also have this love. And he says, I hope that you can get together with other people in the body and try to figure out and understand and grasp how long and wide and high and deep. You know, these, these, these terms that just bring a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, beauty to the passage. He said, I want you to understand that along with the Spirit of God, you get this great love of God. There are some great benefits 
to being a child of God. There are some great things that you get that should motivate your faith, that should motivate that relationship that you have with him to give him more and give him more and give him more so that he will continue to bless you. And that, and, and there's just kind of a, a continual cycle of serving and blessing and serving and blessing. So he makes kind of all of those statements. And then that leads his thought into what we call the beginning of chapter 4 and verse 1. So let's read our text together, and then we'll back up and we'll look at a couple of things from it. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Uh, a passage that many of us in, in a lot of different ways are familiar with. But I want us to back up because I believe what he's, what he's done here is he's talked about the greatness of, of our relationship with him, these great benefits that we receive from God. But what should that do for us in our life? I've, I've been a big fan of this statement for, for a long time now, even though when, when I first heard it, it, it caused me a lot of pause. I had to really think about it for a minute. But Christianity is a complete volunteer, voluntary service. Christianity is 100% voluntary. And for, for, for a long time, as I was a young minister, I thought, well, my job is, is, to, is to come and, and, and just uh, to, to, to just share with these people what they have to do this week. But the truth of it is, you don't have to do anything this week that God wants you to do. You don't have to. That is your choice, your decision of if you want to or if you don't. Now, if I do it, I receive the benefits of the relationship, right? That's, that's how the covenant works. God says, if you do this and this and this, and I'm your God, then these are the things you can, you can uh, I can assure you, you're going to receive these things from me. You're going to get these blessings. But you don't have to do them. You're not going to receive the blessings either, but you get to decide every single day, am I going to wake up today and serve God, or am I not going to serve God? That is your choice. I can't make you do it. I encourage you. I, I, I can try to motivate you with Scripture. The Holy Spirit can try to convict you. But even God himself is not going to reach down and make you do these things. He wants you to make the choice and the decision on your own to follow him and love him and serve him. And so he's laid out this big passage, powerful passage of the benefits of all of it. Then he jumps into verse 4, or chapter 4, and I believe he's really talking to people who've decided, I'm, I'm going to live this way. I'm going to make this commitment. I'm going to serve him. So he starts out with this phrase then. He goes, as a prisoner for the Lord. Now Paul, Paul's in, in prison, and he's writing a series of letters while he's in prison to different, to different churches. But he, he, he jumps out. And he says, I want you to understand where I am. I want you to see where I am, what I'm going through, kind of what I'm dealing with as a prisoner for the Lord. I, I, I think it's interesting that he pauses for just a moment. He does it here and he does it in the beginning of chapter 3 
um, as well. But he, but he mentions the fact that he's a prisoner. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, okay, what, what benefit does that give me in the reading? What, what, what can I pull from that moment? And, and what I wrote down in my notebook here is no excuses. No excuses. What does he say? He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then live, or for, as a prisoner of, I just can't talk this morning. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So he says, you've got this life. You, you, you've decided to live it. For you as a Christian this morning, you're here, you're in the building. There's something about your life that you have decided. I'm going to live this life. You woke up today, and in some way, you've said, I'm making this decision today to be a follower of God. And I think what he's saying here is if you've woken up and you've made that decision, and Paul's saying, I've woken up and made that decision, and I'm a prisoner, when you make that decision, then you have to get to a place in your life where you're not going to make any excuses. I'm not going to make any excuses about my service to God. I'm not going to wake up today and go, man, I'm just too tired. I'm just too tired to love the way that God wants me to love today. I'm too tired to forgive. I'm too stressed out. I've got too many things on my plate. Uh, I've, got, I've got too much going on in my life. He says, look, we have to, if, if we're going to dedicate ourselves to this, we have to get ourselves to a place that even if I'm like Paul and I find myself in prison, how many of you, if you found yourself in prison today, would find more things to find negative than positive, more than likely? You would have more, you would, you would come up with reasons to really be upset and be down. I mean, a big one would be I'm in prison, right? Especially if it's like Paul and you've really done, you haven't done anything wrong. Paul had every earthly reason to be down, to be aggravated, to be frustrated, to be stressed out, to, to, to feel like, where is God? He doesn't love me right now. If God really loved me, he wouldn't let me be in prison. What does he say? He says, I'm in prison for who? The Lord. He, he, he gives God glory and honor in this moment. And he's telling us, or at least what, I, what, what, I'm, what I'm hearing, what, what I'm pulling from this, is I can't live with excuses in my walk with God. I'm either dedicated or I'm not. And if I'm not dedicated, it's not God's fault. Whose fault is it? Whose choice? Whose decision? It's mine. So you've got to get to, your, you've got to, get to that place in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit every day. I'm going to get up and I'm not going to make any excuses. Now, the great thing is, is what has he just told us? You may say, Matthew, that's hard to do. It is hard to do. No one said it was going to be easy. But what does he say at the end of chapter 3, at the end of that text we just read? He says, you have the spirit and power of God dwelling in you. So you don't have to do it on your own. Who's going to help you do this every day? Who's going to help you do this? Who? The Holy Spirit. Say that with me. Who's going to help you do it? The Holy Spirit. You don't, you're not alone. To me, one of the things that it would feel easy to be in prison is to feel alone. But if you read Paul's writings, I don't think Paul ever felt alone. Paul was, people were always coming to visit Paul, it seemed like. People were ministering to Paul. Paul was always ministering to other people. The whole palace guard knew why Paul was there. No excuses in our life, in our service, God, if that's what you're deciding to do. So let's, let's do it and let's live it with no excuses. But then the next thing he says in that process, he says, live it in a way that is worthy. 
Live it in a way that is worthy. Or live your life appropriately before God. Make sure that you are living to the standard of God. And, and that's an interesting word to me, standard, because what we tend to do in the world, you've heard me say this before, what we tend to do in the world is God says, our standard is to be here. This is God's standard. And it doesn't matter where the world's standards go. We've all lived long enough to know that sometimes the world's morality is up, sometimes the world's morality is down, and as one thing swings to the left, eventually it'll swing back to the right, and vice versa. If something swings to the right, eventually it swings back to the left. And so we can't, we can't go through our life and go, I'm, it would be easy to say my standards have to be better than the world's. Now let me ask you, is that a true statement? Do my standards in life have to be better than the world's standards? Yes, that is a true statement. To a degree. Can my, can my standards be better than the world's and still not worthy of the calling? Absolutely. See, if all I'm worried about is making sure I'm a little bit better than the world, then I'm still not where God wants me to be. God says, live it here. No matter where the world goes. The world goes up. You, you still just stay steady. Let them come to you. The world goes down. Don't be like, oh, I can relax and go down with the world. I'm still better than the world. No. He says, you stay. You live your life. You live your life worthy of this calling that you've got from God. You, you woke up this morning. You said, I'm going to live it. I'm not going to live with any excuses. Now you live it appropriately. But how do we do that? We could have a lot of conversation about that. We could have a lot of conversation about what is appropriate Christianity. What do we need to focus on? And I believe those conversations would be very different from person to person, even from generation to generation. But in this particular passage, in this particular text, he jumps into his, his, his own Holy Spirit-driven idea of what it means to live a life worthy of the calling. He goes, so he, he says, so live it. And then in verse 2, he starts with this. And to me, him saying how to live it. First, he says, be completely humble. Be completely humble. Not a little humble, but completely humble. What does he mean by this? He's saying, essentially, and, 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 and the language behind it backs this up. He's saying, do not make it about yourself. None of it. Don't make any of it about yourself. He starts out, and I think he shows this. He goes, as a prisoner for the Lord, right? Who does he put the focus on in that passage? Yes, I'm a prisoner, but, but, but who's it really about? It's really about the Lord. You know what Paul could have said? Look at me. Look at me. I'm here in, I'm here in prison. Look at all these things I've done. I've not done anything wrong. I've not broken any laws just because of my faith. They've put me in prison. I'm here just serving, just doing, just, just doing my part. He could have made all of it about himself. And, and he could have said, this is about me and not about God. But instead he says, I'm here for God. This is about God. Everything you do in your life, is it, the focal point of it, the motivation of it has to be about God. I love my wife in a way that brings God glory and honor. I parent in a way that brings God glory and honor. You know, I, I minister in a way that brings God glory and honor. I make it about Him. Everything about Him. I, I don't make any of it about me. It's not about me. It's always about Him. I shine a light on Him every opportunity I get. And that also has to do with our relationships, because this is really all about relationships with each other. He says... 
You're, you're going to live this life. People are going to know you're living this life. God's going to see you living this life in the way that you deal with one another. He, he's going to make you use that phrase, one another, at the end of this particular verse. But he says, be completely humble and then be gentle. So as we work with people, as we live this life with people, we have to be humble toward them, but also gentle. The word gentle can also be translated meek. And, and I love the word meek because he tells us in the Beatitudes to be meek, right? <clears throat> and the idea behind the word being meek is not, it's not being um, passive, but rather it's being reserved. As in, I have this power within me, but I'm going to use it appropriately. I'm going to have moments where I'm ministering to someone and they're just not getting it. And man, they're struggling. And I'm going to want to just thump them in the side of the head and be like, pay attention. You know what to do here. But he says, no, be gentle with them. Be, be, be humble in, in, in your walk with them. Minister to them in a way that brings God, honor and glory to God. Not if you would just listen to me, everything would be great. No, it's all about God. Be gentle with one another. And then he uses the word patient. And not just patient, but he says patient, bearing with one another. How? In? What is the next word? Bearing with one another in? Love. Being patient. How, how many of you know people who struggle with patience? How many of you struggle with patience? There's some people that just aren't raising their hands this morning. I've got a feeling. Man, patience is hard, isn't it? I think there's a reason that Paul says over and over and over in Scripture to be patient. You know why that is? Because we all struggle with it. We've all got certain things in our life that when someone does those things, when they act certain ways, I just can't take it. I just, it, just, it just grinds my gears, you know, like I just, I just can't handle it. I get tired of it. I don't have any patience for it. And we, uh, we, we like to make excuses for that. We're like, well, that's just who I am. I can't help it, you know. I mean, if they just wouldn't do it, it wouldn't be, a, you know. No. He says, you get over those things when you're loving each other. You're patient with one another. You're long-suffering you're humble, you're gentle, you bear with one another. To me, that word, that phrase bear with one another, man, it just, it just sounds, it sounds hard, doesn't it? It sounds like something like I've got to roll my sleeves up and I've got to really try. He says, you try, you keep going, you do this. You made, you made the decision to get up this morning and to serve God. So don't make excuses in your relationships with one another. Be patient with each other. Bear with one another. Be humble. Be gentle with each other. These are not things that are supposed to describe certain Christians. These are things that are supposed to describe all of us. Every single one of us. This is how we live our life worthy of the calling that we have received. We live this way toward each other. And then he goes on, he says, as you're doing that, continue to make every effort to keep the what? Unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So as, he's, as this passage is unfolding, he's going, okay, two paragraphs before, these are the benefits of this relationship with God. Now, you got to make up your mind every day. 
Are you going to wake up and live a life of no excuses? Are you, are you committed to this? Now, as you're committed to this, let me show you how to do this. And he's, and he's doing that. But he's also weaving this idea that we do it together. I don't have to do it alone. Because if we're all called to bear with one another in love, that also means that when I'm struggling and I'm getting on someone's nerves, you're going to deal with me how? With patience. With you know, I'm receiving these things from you. It's not just I'm giving them, I'm also receiving them. And he says, so you live this, and as you're living this, make every effort to keep the unity, to stay focused, to live in the same direction through the Holy Spirit and the bond of peace. He is our focus. He's what's holding this together. Then he goes on, and he's saying, these are the things you're going to have in common. When you're living the life, okay, I woke up this morning, I'm not making excuses, I'm living my life worthy of the calling. He said, then there's going to be some things that you're going to realize brings you together. And I love this passage for a very specific reason. It shows us that God is here to unify, not to divide. And especially American Christianity, I'm going to use that as an umbrella statement for a moment. American church, over the last several decades, has focused so much on our differences and why you need to come to church here because we do this and this and they don't do this and that and this is right and this is wrong. It really bothers me that we have made God divisive. It bothers me that we've made God divisive. We've made important principles of Scripture divisive. We've used, we've used Scripture to win arguments as opposed to winning souls at times. Well, but but I, I was right. It doesn't matter if you were right if you didn't bring someone closer to God, if you didn't do it in love. And, and he's going to mention some things that should always bring us together. No matter where we are or what we're doing, we should always find unity in these things. He says, there is one body. There's one body. We have one family. That's what he's talking about. Well, we have this group of people that we are joined together. We're different at times. In another passage, as he's using the same language, he talks about some of us being feet, some of us being hands. We have different purposes, different, different roles to play. We're not all the same, and that's okay. But he said, we're all part of the same body. We're all part of the same family. We are here for one another. He says that there is one body. There's one spirit. There, there's one Holy Spirit of God, just as you were called to one hope. We all have the same hope. We all have the same thing that we're looking forward to. Eternity with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're looking forward to that day. That is something that unifies us. That's something that brings us together. That No matter what struggle we have, no matter what challenge is going on, we know that we have this same hope and we can, we can lean into one another and know that we're moving in the same direction together. He says, one hope when you were called. He says, there's one Lord. There, 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 there's one person to worship. There, there's, there's one person that is above all and, and, and in charge of all things. He says there's one faith. And then my favorite, and this is the thing that causes more division than anything else. He says there's one baptism. One baptism. 
there's not a Church of Christ baptism. There's not a Methodist baptism. There's not a Baptist baptism. There's one baptism. There is God's baptism. There is the baptism that He calls us to. And I think we've gotten wrapped up in this, maybe in a negative way a little bit. And just, just, just listen and be patient with me for a minute. In a negative way, as in we've used baptism as the way to win arguments and not win souls. That if I have a conversation with someone about that, that may not believe that baptism is essential, I use Scripture to prove a point, not to teach truth and love. And, and I'm, more, I'm maybe more interested in winning the debate and being right. And maybe when we get in that mindset, our heart and our words don't always line up. That our words become argumentative instead of allowing our heart to show love. Because here's the thing, our baptism saves us. Paul says that. Paul says that as plain as day. I'm sorry, Peter says that as plain as day. He says your baptism saves you. Okay? He's talked through the book of Ephesians that, that our baptism gives us the Holy Spirit, which is an assurance, which is a deposit of, our, of that salvation that I can know that I'm saved. And so I wonder if maybe we need to, instead of, instead of using the mindset of, well, if you're not baptized, you're going to hell, maybe our sales pitch needs to change a little bit and go, hey, when you're baptized, look at the things that you receive in return. Listen, when people are selling you things now, it's all about the benefits, right? It's all about the benefits. Be a part of our, buy membership into our club, and these are the benefits that you're going to receive. You're going to get all of these things, you know, pay, pay, pay one payment once a month, and we're going to get, you know, the, the, the man, it's all, the streaming service thing is just crazy nowadays, you know. There was a time where streaming was cheaper than cable, and now we're spending more money on streaming than we ever did on cable, but it's all about the bundle now, right? all about the bundle. Let's play, pay one price and you'll get this, this, and this, and this. It's all about the benefits. And I think that that's where we've missed the ball a little bit on, on the salvation and baptism, that we've been all about teaching it the church of Christ way and not the Jesus way. And there is a difference. There is a difference. If we just make it about winning the argument and not about Jesus, then we've missed the point. But I think that our sales pitch now is not, if you don't do it, you're going to hell. I think it needs to be, listen, I, Jesus wants you to do this because it saves you, because it gives you the Holy Spirit, because it brings hope, because it brings unity. And if we make it this positive thing instead of a negative that's where we find unity. Because he says, baptism is meant to bring us together, not divide us. And I think if we look at our past, we have been just as guilty of being divisive. On the, even while preaching, can you preach truth and be divisive? If it's with the wrong attitude, absolutely. And so let's make sure as we teach this subject, this important subject, this soul-saving subject, that we do it what does he say at the beginning? We do it with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with that individual that we're studying with in love and, and making sure it's about unity and not about winning an argument. Let's, let's unify ourselves behind this. He goes on, he says, there's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all 
and in all. I love this section of scripture because he's just reminding us don't make excuses. Just, just, just wake up every day and decide I'm going to. It's going to be hard. Yes, it's going to be hard at times, but love your way through it. Know that you've got the power of God. The Holy Spirit lives in you, and he's going to help you through this. Bear with one another, and they will bear with you. Be patient with one another, and they're going to be patient with you. Find the unity. Find these core things, these core things. Stand on them and be unified in them instead of divided. And worship the one and only true God, who, who, who this is, who is over all of this, who has control of all of this. He's saying this is some of the benefits of, of your walk with him. Let's close with a word of prayer, and then the lesson will be yours. God, we thank you for the chance to be together today. We thank you for the opportunity to just be reminded of the awesomeness of our relationship with you, the benefits of our relationship with you, but to understand that it's not always going to be easy, God. And in those moments, help us to lean in on your spirit, on the power that dwells within us, God. Help us to focus on unity in our message, love in our message, patience in our message. We can't make anybody do anything, God. We simply have to show your love, show your plan, and live unified with those who choose to follow it. Let us be a church of unity, God, a church of patience, a church of love, a church that encourages people to, to walk into that covenant so that they can receive the wonderful benefits that we receive. I pray, God, that we do love our community in a powerful way, that it opens doors so that we can share your wonderful message. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you for his mercy. We thank you for his grace. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us. And please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember to love like Jesus. Man to man, ever sing.